0: 17 minutes it is now before 9pm and uh, it is under the microscope and uh, of course yeah, I guess you know this is a perfect segue uh, the last conversation we had to the conversation we're going to have now which uh, probably takes on a much shorter or I should say the ESCOM conversation we had probably takes on a much shorter time horizon. Um, than the conversation we're going to have now. I'm joined in the studio by a researcher at uh, the University of the Witwatersrand, Melissa Tandwe-Miambo. She is a uh, researcher and uh, also the editor of uh, Reversing Urban Inequality in Johannesburg. Now, uh, she's uh, written something quite interesting for me, Um, interesting insofar as it draws parallels between some of uh, the uh, big geopolitical developments that we've seen over the last three decades or so. In particular, um, you know, around the era of 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Tiananmen Square protests, uh, and even our own, I guess, the breakthrough here in South Africa. And uh, we want to take stock of of these and uh, reflect on these with the 25-year review report that came out last week from the government and also that report from uh, Statistics South Africa titled Inequality Trends in South Africa, which uh, continues to show uh, that uh, uh, the uh, overwhelming, I guess, um, beneficiaries of the democratic period have largely been white households. Um, And uh, conversely, I guess the people that have gotten the shorter end of the stick have uh, primarily been black people. Melissa Tandiwe, good evening to you.
1: Good evening, how are you? I'm
0: very well, thank you. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you for Uh, having me. I want us just briefly to, to, before we get into the nub of all of the things we're talking about here, you said, you know, from the conversation that we just got off of. Uh, that you have some of your own views and I'd love to hear those.
1: Well, it's not a view, but it's just a, it's just a counterpoint. Mm. You know, uh, in 2008, when uh, George W. Bush broke the global economy and then Barack Obama was elected president of the yes. United States, you know, people said it was very ironic because uh, a white man has broken the whole global economy and now you hire a black man to clean it up. As they so always do. <laughs> yes, It mean, happened at KPMG as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But you see, in the s situation, it could be that maybe it's progress. Now we have a white guy who's going to try to <laughs> clean it up. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying it's how you Ish, look
0: at things. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I guess that that's one way to look at it. That That's one way to look at it. But, but I'm still, I mean, it still leaves me with a very bad taste in my mouth. That um, in a country with the 60 million people, and f- just shy of 150 candidates for this particular role, and you say to me that the best candidate you could find is a white male. I mean, I sit back and I'm like, oh. then that speaks volumes of what we've done over the last 25 years or so. If we haven't been able in 25 years with what we were endowed with in 1994, and, and I do think that in 1994, there were many uh, uh, professional black women who could have run ESCOM even then, Right. And yet, 25 years later, we're sitting here and we're saying we don't have a black female candidate to run an ESCOM. It certainly does, I mean, shudder to think uh, what we think is progress. If they hire
1: me, tell them I'm ready. I can go and take the job. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh,
0: Doc, I mean, I want us to to take a step back here slightly. We've seen two pieces of data in the last week or so, uh, which confirm a key message here. Um, but also, moreover, this happens in a context that is fundamentally different to what we had three decades ago. So two data sets, the inequality trends from a Stats essay and the 25 year review, tell us what many of us have always seen and observed and are aware of in this country, that we still continue to see structural continuities from the apartheid period into now the democratic period. And uh, we haven't done enough to use state power to be able, I guess, to dismantle that edifice. Yeah. How does that, I guess, in your view, interface with uh, your own reflections and uh, uh, I guess your own analysis of how far the global political economy has come from what, you know, Francis Fukuyama saw as the moment that signaled the end of history?
1: So, this is a very important question you've asked because uh, what's very horrible about South Africa, and actually, I think that the energy I saw callers bringing to the last discussion, they must bring to this discussion also. Mm. Because frankly, the situation of inequality in South Africa is shocking and it it is so bad and it's getting worse and one of the reasons why it's getting worse is because South Africa like nearly every economy in the world Mm. has embraced what they call neoliberal policies so as you can see SAA is having a strike now one of the things about neoliberal policies is that they uh, make workers much more precarious Mm. and when workers are precarious they're not earning properly they don't have security uh, and then uh, we have increased income inequality so increasing income inequality is everywhere in the world and the reason why state power has not necessarily been able to address inequality as much as we would expect in a democratic country after 1994 was because South Africa and this is one of the mistakes that Nelson Mandela did make. Mm. Uh, I'm a big admirer of Nelson Mandela but unfortunately when he came out of prison it was the time when the Berlin Wall had fallen everybody was talking about capitalism globalization, neoliberal capitalism as we call it Mm. was what he was forced to embrace and neoliberal capitalism specifically makes the state step back from addressing aggressively addressing inequalities and mm. other problems. What,
0: what does that mean, uh, uh, you know, Melissa Tandiwa in a context like South Africa, where the onset of neoliberal ideas also intersects with the daunting task of reconstructing a society after you know four centuries of intentional dispossession and intentional destruction?
1: What, what it means is that uh, the inequality that was already there. Pre nineteen ninety four has continued and in fact even worsened. Mm. From the government's own report, I mean, listen to this shocking statistic. I won't, I won't go on a, with too many sure. stats, but those reports are excellent. But it says that today, in 2015, so that's when that came from. This statistic comes: the bottom sixty percent of the population of South Africa only owns eight point three percent of the total wealth. Imagine the bottom sixty percent of South Africa mm. of the entire South African population only owns eight point three percent of total wealth. That is unsustainable, frankly. And what the problem is, is that because the government was forced to uh, to uh, embrace these neoliberal policies, mm. neoliberalism is something that came from uh, Ronald Reagan of the U.S., yes, and Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher yeah. You know, they used to call it trickle-down economics. Mm. Trickle-down economics is actually gush-upwards economics where all the money goes to the top. Yeah. Because the rich people, get ba- they barely get taxed. Mm. Corporations... Even under apartheid the tax rate was something like 55% in the 1980s for companies mm. now we it's 41 it down. yes now it's yeah. 41% why is that we should, be, we should be taxing companies. We should also be taxing very wealthy people mm-hmm. who have a lot of assets. And if you
0: expand that further, I mean, if you think about the mining sector and the kind of tax incentives that they have, you end up finding these guys sitting with you know a marginally effective tax rate of around 11%, 12%, um, largely because of all of the write-offs. Yes, there's so, had, so many yeah. write-offs, yeah. There's so mm. many
1: loopholes when it comes to companies paying taxes as it is. So even the, the actual rate is not mm. actually what they end up paying. So this is why we're living in the situation where people are living under bridges. When I was coming here just now, I found people staying under bridges, and we find that normal. But it should not be normal because South Africa is actually quite a wealthy country. Yeah, but it's about distribution Mm. of that wealth.
0: Yeah, let's pause there for a second, and uh, when we come back, I want us to. Uh, speak about this project of uh, redistribution and uh, more importantly what we think some of the structural limits are to that particular project. I'm in conversation with the editor of Reversing Urban Inequality in Johannesburg, uh, Melissa Tandiwe Miambo. She's also a researcher at the University of the Front under the microscope. SABC Education, together with the Department of Basic Education, wishes the class of 2019 matriculants all of the best for their final examinations. Remember, you are capable of more than you know. Just believe in yourself, keep calm and do your best. We wish you all of the success. SABC Education. Enriching minds, enriching lives. Eight minutes it is now before the uh, top of uh, the hour. Tuned into Metro FM Talk and we're under the microscope taking a look at what ought to happen when it comes to our uh, picture of inequality in South Africa. Uh, I think uh, very few of us need uh, any introduction uh, to what uh, that picture looks like. South Africa is the most unequal society in the world. And uh, for many people that are listening in to this, uh, um, Melissa Tandi, you know, Might be asking myself, uh, what can I do sitting in the comfort of my vehicle, parked as it is, waiting to go inside and uh, hoping, I guess, uh, to listen to the tail end here of Metro FM talk? What is it that I can do in the space that I'm in and my sphere of influence to at least contribute in making a dent uh, to uh, our picture of inequality?
1: Must I come? some solutions. Okay, I cannot please. do all. <laughs> uh, first of all, of course we need structural change uh, and that must come from government but we as individuals can also do things. So for example, I hear a lot of people talking about inequality like it's something that's completely separate from them but it's actually all of us are contributing to the society of inequality. Mm. So for example, if you have an employee or a domestic worker or anybody who you're paying, please make sure you're paying them a living wage, not mm. the minimum wage the minimum wage is not a living wage. Try to pay them a living wage. Mm. And even if you feel like you can't afford it, just think, Can I cut? what can I cut out? Can I cut out some cappuccinos? Or can I, can I maybe just skip going uh, you know, for a long drive one day a week and take that petrol money and give it to them as a salary? They'll make a huge difference. Mm. Uh, if you are renting, I take Taxify a lot. So uh, if you are renting a, a car to an Uber driver, a Taxify driver, please don't make them pay 3,000 rands a week for that car. Try to make it 2.5 or even 2.2 or even 2,000. Even 2,000 times people are struggling to make Mm. that much money, you know? So this is how we don't treat each other properly also just between as individuals. Uh, If you work for the government, I was very distressed to find a friend of mine who works for government, told me that senior government people must take business class. When they go overseas, business class is very expensive way to fly. Why would government be doing that in a country where we have limited resources and so many people do not have? Mm. I don't understand why government big rigs would be traveling business class. Please travel economy class, business uh, government people, and let us hold our government. But even those in corporate SA, even those in corporate yes, SA, yes, because they could use that mm. money for something else. Mm. You know, they imagine imagine they could pay school fees know, So there's lots of different forms of inequality. There's sure. educational inequality, there's spatial inequality, there's economic inequality. There's so many th- mm. There's so many ways that we have inequality in this country. But for example, spatial inequality, let's think outside the box. Uh, if you live in the northern suburbs, can we not take at least some of those golf courses? There are a lot of golf courses. Do, in, really in need jo- Do we need all of them? Minister. I'm not saying all of them. Rich people will not like this. But can we not take some of those golf courses and put affordable housing there? Because most people in Joburg are spending a huge amount of time in their... Day and also a huge amount of their salary in transport costs. Mm. And I know one lady who's, who lives in Dobsonville in Soweto. She goes every day to Deenfern. Do you know how long that is? You never see your kids you will n- you will never have a family life i mean it's such a mm. it's in that's it's a very minor thing but it's also very major for somebody's quality of life mm. so uh, we need to have affordable housing in the areas where people are actually working and affordable but but very decent housing mm. but it must remain affordable so so melissa Tandu, i
0: mean i'm quite interested but when you speak about those two things um, mm. one inequality in access to housing mm. but also two the issues of spatial inequality mm. i mean we often talk about the structural limitations to growing this economy on an inclusive basis. And I would think that those are the primary two. We saw the city of Joburg saying, look, if you're going to build a new development, 20% of that should be to social housing. Um, How do we push the envelope on that? How, How do we go even further and say... We know there are people that are working close to where there are very high property values. How do we break the stranglehold of some of these interests within uh, the uh, developers?
1: We have to change the the whole model of how it's done. At the moment, uh, City of Joburg outsources uh, social housing to private developers. Mm. I just do not agree with that because a private developer's goal is to make profit and that is not the goal of social housing. Mm. So we have to have to change that whole model. You must bring a housing fund to talk about that but it's Mm. really, it's a huge issue. There's an essay in the book about that and I'm going to advise you to read that also i'm going to say this while i'm here we also have to have insourcing mm, you know this business of sure. outsourcing so much exploitation this contract labor and yeah. all the universities are doing it and it's completely wrong and this is leading to more income inequality and more mm. precarious insecure livelihoods for people and finally i'm going to say that people must unionize especially in this organize. Gig, you organize mm. they must and e- even people in the gig economy mm. the gig economy is now the growing uh the growing sector of the economy but that is the worst workers rights you know people who are working in the gig economy they've got they've got no medical aid they've got no sick leave no maternity leave it's completely wrong mm. and we have to, we can't we have to address this they're not sure. independent contractors they're actually employees so
0: L- they should unionize L- last one on my end i mean now that you've shared your list i have one i still board uh, this but you go ahead yeah yeah i have one <laughs> uh, and i'd love to hear your views on this <laughs> no i mean look One of the things that we've been seeing over a long period of time, and you look at this report that came from Stats SA, you look at the 25-year review, you look at some of the reports even from an institution like the World Bank, which suggests that if you look at income inequality, the biggest driver of that is wage differentials within firms. Uh, So already we've got, I guess, a relatively small population of people employed. And yet on top of that, you also have... um, Inequality within those firm level wage distributions. Surely we should be calling for a maximum wage. Surely we should be calling for, uh, you know, uh, some, uh, how do I say, ratio between the highest earner and the median earner or even the lowest earner.
1: Uh, and even confront things like the gender pay gap absolutely and that's another thing about neoliberalism in 1980 there's a very famous stat that in 1980 the difference between a ceo and the lowest paid worker mm. in a firm was 30 times sure. now it's 300 to 400 times and that's a worldwide phenomenon mm. but in a country like south africa we cannot we cannot have that if actually all countries are facing increased income inequality mm. but we already had so much inequality yeah yeah so let me tell
0: you an interesting thing uh i was interviewing someone Uh, for some other research I was doing. Um, And I was asking her the same question about this. And she says, for her, the funniest anecdote she had was when she went to the UK, had spending some time with uh, her friends, and she asked her brother-in-law, who was, uh, you know, a a CEO for one of these companies, he said, you know, how do you guys justify how much money you earn? Um, And the brother-in-law then said to her, no, but... um, we want it to be competitive rates because you know if uh, if we don't earn at that level then all of our ceos go to south africa (laughs) so the idea even globally within the community of ceos as small as that might be is that you know the best earners are here in south africa and yet here in south africa we're told that you know these have to be globally competitive so you know, yes, which is. one which one do we then take? Yes. You know, a and and it's
1: complete nonsense. Mm. And uh, we, we, but we have to address that. And uh, you're absolutely right. There should be a maximum on how much people are earning. And it, there should be within a ratio of what mm. the other people are, are earning, because that is the only way. And frankly, if you pay your workers more, they can also consume more. That also helps to stimulate the economy. Yes, yes, so yes. when people don't have any disposable income, how are we expecting them to Oh, another thing the South African government must do, however, is bring down the price of, of data and the pr- price of accessing Internet. Mm. Because, you know, cu- countries like Kenya have really invested in that sector. Sure, sure. Why South Africa is not invested in the sector, I will never understand. So, that you know, Kenya has got actually their own Silicon Valley thing happening. Mm. They've got startups. And most famously, they have Mpesa. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, the exa- yeah. Ex- ex- it's fantastic, mm. you know. Here in South Africa, people can barely even afford to make a phone call. It's ridiculous. So it's really holding us back. So these are all, but you know, in sure. this day and age now, access to the internet is not. If you don't have access, that's so another form of inequality. Be a human right. It well
0: should be a human right. One band
1: should be a human right.
0: Melissa Tanduaymiamba, pleasure having you in studio. I certainly, I'm going to lobby and petition uh, the powers that be uh, to have you on for a bit longer next time, so we can take a few calls and we can. Uh, have a, a much longer deliberation than the one that we've had but I really appreciate uh, you coming through to speak to us and also a big thank you for the delivery of the book Reversing Urban Inequality in Johannesburg edited by Melissa Tandwe Miyambo. I encourage you to take a look at that one and to get hold of that big thank you to you and thank you so much for thank coming you through. so much for having me that then is uh, the end of our conversation this evening at the start of this new week I'm going to leave you with the man with the music Sintla is going to be with you from 9 to midnight you have yourself a great evening take strength ma Africa. Nangoku, se sai banga, Leekonam.